uh, will you turn First Peter 2, beginning in verse 9, and we'll just breathe there because that gives us the context and the end of the chapter. But if you're uh, physically able, will you stand up with me as we read from God's precious word as an act of reverence? But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, and who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which um, war against the soul, showing your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, and when he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sin, sins, might live for righteousness, by, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's the word of the living God. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Just by way of overview here, we've applied an outline to this text that we've been following. And all the parts of the outline start with P. And uh, in the first part, in chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 9a, the first part of verse 9, uh, is the first part of the outline. Do you remember what it is? It's position. It's position. Because of who we are. And our identity in Christ. And then chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 9b and 10, what flows from faithfully receiving as a child the truth about our position but what praise praise a crescendo of praise it goes up it says we're going to praise our God the one who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light the one who are not the people of God who are now the people of God who have not obtained mercy but are now obtained mercy and then verses 11 and 12 what's the third room posture posture and the posture is that of surrender surrender Apostle Paul, I mean Apostle Peter here, as Paul does in two of his letters in Romans and Ephesians in particular, begs for, calls for, urges a level of surrender, a deeper level of surrender. It's not a command, it's an urge, it's an encouragement to do it. Why? Because all the preceding things that he just talked about are true. 
Then verses 21 through 24, what do we find? Pattern. Our pattern. Our pattern is who? Jesus Christ. He wants to trace his life over ours and embed it into ours so that he can be seen through us. The story's been told about the the uh, shoe repairman and he had a corner store and a businessman was going by speeding by the highway in front of the store and it was about six o'clock in the evening and he looked over there and his shoe was in bad need of repair and he had a meeting the next morning to attend and um, he thought man I really need to go over and see this shoe repairman but I believe he's closed so he pulls over in a quick hurry and all the parking lot is empty there's not one single car in the parking lot he looks up and he comes up to the opening of the uh, the door, opening into the shop, the little two-story building. And uh, there's an open sign, a small open sign that he couldn't see from the highway. He walks on in and there, sure enough, is the shoe repairman there. And he said, you know what, there's not a car in the parking lot and I thought you might be closed. And now I found out you're open to my surprise and joy. He said, yeah, you, you, hit, it, you hit it right. I was about to close up, but uh, I've got time to help you and I'll help you. He said, well, where's your car at? I mean, where, there's nobody here. This looks abandoned. He said, listen, you see that stairwell over in the corner? He said, yeah. He said, I live upstairs. I just work down here. My friends, you live upstairs, but you work down here. You and I are seated in the heavenlies in, the Christ, in Christ Jesus. We're there and here at the same time. I can't explain that, but just because I can't explain it and you can't either, doesn't make it any less true. We live up there, but we work down here. Amen? And so he wants to put us on pattern, on display in front of a lost and clueless and confused world around us. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And then we looked at the next P, and that is, you may remember, power. Power. Where he guides, he provides. The power to do what we've been called to do. Not only is Jesus the pattern, but he's the power for which to fulfill the pattern. God is the fulfillment of, fulfillment of everything He requires out of the believer. And He said, you, just like when He reviled and didn't revile in return, you can do that. Just like He committed Himself to a God who judges righteously, you can do that. Just like He didn't uh, make a case for His own rights, but submitted even when he, was, when he was being unfairly treated, you can do that. Why can you and I do that? Because it's already been done. It's not that we draw upon our strength to do it, but we draw upon that which has already been done, the person of Jesus Christ, to do it. He's our power. He's our provision. And then we looked at last week, and it's almost like Paul and Peter just kind of stuck this in the middle to give us a general reminder before he goes on. But the level of surrender that he talked about and the posture of surrender that we looked at in verses 11 and 12, the rest of the book, do you remember what it, we said was the glue that held the rest of the book together? How does that surrender manifest itself? To submission to authority. Submission to authority. And the first level of authority he calls us to submit to is government. The next level of authority he calls us to submit to is a, uh, an employer and employee relationship. The next one he's going to move on into in chapter 3, verse 1, is going to be wives to husbands. And then chapter 5, verse 5, it's going to be younger people to their elders. And what he's saying here is this. Your disposition toward authority... communicates whether or not you've experienced the level of surrender he calls for in verses 11 and 12. If the level of surrender called for in verses 11 and 12 are genuine, 
And you can expect God's power to give you and enable you to do it. It has to be motivated by the reasons that precede the call. My position and the praise that comes forth and springs forth from who I am now in Christ. Now, last week, we looked at two words, or at least two titles that are identified, that Jesus has identified uh, 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 by. And we looked, in particular, we skipped over the first one and just gave a little bit of uh, attention to it last week. But the second one we looked at, and it's overseer or bishop of your soul. Do you remember what that word means? Anybody remember? Scope. Scope. It means scope. And when you put the prefix on the root word from which it's translated, it uh, it uh, it even further pronounces the meaning. And it's like it's the same word we get the word from uh, English word scope, like microscope or telescope. And we talked about the fact that when you put those two words together, the root word with the prefix, it intensifies the meaning. And what it means is an instrument for intensive observation. We talked about the fact that in ancient Greek, Greece. A high-ranking military official was empowered by the command to inspect the troops to make them ready for battle. That's what this bishop, this overseer did. He looked them over, looked over their ammunition, looked over their gun, and the way they were carrying themselves and dressed, just like in military ranks, to make sure that they were battle ready. Are you battle ready? And we talked about it, made the point that it makes sense that the shepherd of our soul would inspect us to see if we're battle ready. And the main area of inspection to see if we're battle ready is to see that we are what? Submissive to authority. We talked about it. What army in the world can enjoy any success when there's rebellion in the ranks? What army in the world can carry out any battle plan successfully when there's rebellion in the blank ranks. What army in the world is not going to be taken out by the enemy if they're over here contending about who's in charge? Or that somebody says, Nana, Nana, Boo, Boo, I should be in charge. And somebody's got a better plan than what was already enacted and agreed upon. And there are people that are there to carry out the plan. You know what? Let's bring this home just a little bit. You know the George Zimmerman case? You know, do you, Are you all familiar with that? George Zimmerman? Uh, was a neighborhood watch guy who volunteered for neighborhood watch and it's become a big giant racial issue in our country unfortunately and George Zimmerman saw a suspicious looking character going through his neighborhood and he took it upon himself as a neighborhood watch guy to go follow this young man it turns out he was I don't know 17 16 17 year old young man George Zimmerman comes upon him he calls 911 and says there's a suspicious looking character in our neighborhood I think he's up to no good. We've had a series of break-ins recently. You know what the 911 operator told him? He said, I'm going to follow him. And the 911 operator said, I don't need you to do that. I don't need you to do that. Well, because he didn't do that, and he followed him, this Trayvon Martin, who was the young man that he was following, turned on him and attacked him. And in an act of claim of self-defense, George Zimmerman shot him dead. Now... George Zimmerman faces a prison sentence and this little young man is dead. Do you understand that if he'd listened to the authority, that would have never happened? I don't need you to do that. No, i got a better plan. I'm smarter than that. I'm smarter than that. And the police got there in a matter of seconds after he did that, but the damage was done and it was too late. 
Do you understand that God set up authority, whether you like it or not, for your protection and my protection, and whether we like them or not, and whether or not they're acting righteously or whether or not they're doing right, our submission to them means we entrust ourselves not to their judge, but to the righteous judge that they will answer to one day. And in that submission, Christ is seen. Is that not the most unfair act that's ever been perpetrated on the face of the earth is the cross? And yet he submitted himself to the Father's authority. So he inspects us to see if we're battle ready. You're not battle ready if you're in rebellion to God's delegated authority. You are fodder for the enemy. You're on your own. And we examined the Roman centurion in Luke where he had asked for Jesus to go and heal his servant. And he said, I too am a man, what? In authority? Under authority. The power came from him being under authority. And Jesus, I recognize that you're under God's authority. And whatever you ask him, he will do because you're under his authority. And so it was done. And so listen, we don't want to live an uninspected life. You, it is a foolish thing. I'm not saying that you are a fool, but you're acting foolishly if you don't want to live an unexamined life. It, Jesus scrutinizes our lives not so that He can knock us out, but so that He can prepare us for what He knows will come. But you know what the lovely thing about this is? is before He ever talks about the scrutiny, before He ever talks about putting us, God, under the microscope, before He ever mentions that, what does He identify Himself as? Shepherd. Shepherd. You know, it's the most fond title our Lord had of Himself in the, in the Bible. Not pastor, I mean, not priest, not, not high priest. Those are things that he's, there are titles of Jesus in the Bible, but you know what he was most fond of? He was most fond of calling himself a shepherd. The tenderness and the, the, the care and the nurturing that comes from that. But let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, or share this with you. The reason that our shepherd wants to lead us and make sure that we're battle ready is because you're going to be led into battle. He doesn't just do that for the fun of it. He scrutinizes our lives. He even sets up church to do that. We have relationships with one another. And the interactions that we have with one another, and weaknesses are exposed. You know, because we're with, with one another, and we're around one another, and, and, and things surface to the, they come up to the surface, and sometimes they have to be dealt with. Um, in different ways. The Bible prescribes for us to deal with them. But you know what the whole aim is? The whole aim is this. Not to expose something so you can be shamed, but to expose something so you can be conformed to the image of His Son. That's God's design. Why does He want you battle ready? Because He's going to lead you into a battle. That's why. That's why. He's our shepherd. He's not just the guy who inspects us. He's not a military. The sense is not a military ruler. It's a shepherd who inspects to make sure the sheep are prepared for where the shepherd's going to lead them. This is the most fond metaphor that Jesus ever used of himself in the Bible. He liked that best. In John 10, 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He is a shepherd with a flock to tend, to touch, to care, and to give to them a known voice. If you're one of his, you recognize his voice, the scriptures say. And when he speaks, we can recognize him because he's our shepherd. You see, 
sheep have a tendency to do several things. And we're all sheep if we're saved. Look at verse 25. For you were like sheep going astray. That's what sheep have a tendency to do. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, All we like sheep have gone astray, and we've each turned to our own way, and he hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Sheep have a tendency to wonder. Sheep are senseless. It doesn't mean, and you've heard and you know, if you've been around or heard about sheep, that they are not intelligent animals. But when I say senseless, I don't mean lack of intelligence, but they have no sense of direction. No sense of direction. You have a stray dog at your house, and you want to, go, you want to take him out to the county and put him out. I Don't do this. Don't have me arrested for saying it. But just say you go do that and go take him out somewhere. Have you, ever, have you ever heard stories of where somebody would take a dog they were fond of out in the woods, and by the time they got home, the dog's sitting there going, <laughs> waiting for you when you get back. You take a sheep out in the woods, he won't be waiting for you when you get back. Has no sense of direction whatsoever. This is what Jesus calls us. Sheep. You're sheep. And you're going to get in peril unless you have a shepherd. Unless you have a shepherd that cares. Unless you have a shepherd that nurtures. Unless you have a shepherd that defends. Because sheep are not only senseless, not only do they have a tendency to stray, but you know what? They're defenseless. They have no speed. They have no strength and they have no savvy. They're just defenseless. They're not going to attack you if you attack them. And you know what they are also? They're dependent. They're dependent. Unless they're nurtured, cared for, and led, they'll die. They'll perish. Does that not sound like every one of us? We have a tendency to stray. <laughs> Prone to wonder. God, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. It's true. We're prone to wonder, Brother Al. We have no sense of direction absent a shepherd to guide us. We are defenseless. We have no speed, no strength, and we have no savvy. We're not street smart, and we're dependent. That's why a sheep needs a responsible shepherd. Hallelujah. And bless the Lord, we have one. Amen. And we have one in Jesus Christ. So... So isn't it wonderful that he would take the title that says, I'm going to scrutinize you and scope you out to see that you're battle ready, but preceded by that scope and that intense inspection to make sure you're battle ready, the Lord calls himself a sheep, a shepherd. Because you know what? This is said of the Lord. God said this of his son. He said, I will raise up a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. A rule without shepherding is tyranny. And shepherding without rule is chaos. He's a ruler who is a shepherd. Praise His name. That's what our God's like. Savior like a shepherd lead us. But see, the thing about this is, where the, where the confusion sometimes comes, is your shepherd... And my shepherd lead us to death. Who but God the Father led the Son into harm's way? Who but God the Father put His Son on the cross? Did angry Roman mob do that? 
did angry religious people who thought more of their self-righteousness than they did the righteousness of Christ put him there? Or was it the Father that put him there? It was the Father's good pleasure to spend his son. Savior like a shepherd lead us. We've got to begin to realize that he applies the scrutiny because he's going to send us into the battle. And those battle places sometimes are distasteful. And those battle places are hard. And those battle places are not comfortable. Those battle places where the, the battle is raging is to strip us of our dependency of ourselves so that we're left nothing but to trust him. He's so fond of the shepherd analogy that the only one of the miracles in the Bible that's listed in every one of the Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. And it is nothing but a picture of, it's nothing but a picture of the shepherd feeding his sheep. And he turns around to his disciples and they say, Lord, we've got nothing except these meager supplies. And he said, you give them something to eat. You feed them. I'm going to equip you to feed them. Don't you send them home. Don't you leave them to yourself, to themselves. They'll be scattered. I'm a shepherd and we're going to feed them. I'm so grateful that the shepherd abides with the sheep when trouble comes our way. A shepherd doesn't cut and run. A hireling does, but not a shepherd. A shepherd stands there in the middle of harm's way and he protects the sheep. He's not going to protect you from the death that you need to die, but he's going to protect you so that you die the death his way and you don't cut and run either so that he can resurrect his life in you. That's what authority is all about. God uses authority to take us to the cross of Calvary so that we can experience the resurrected life on the other side of it. You know what the great thing is? When a shepherd's out in the field and he's tending to the flock, night, night falls and the shepherd's out there. He stays with the sheep. You know what he does? He takes brush and sticks and everything, anything else he could find and wood and stones and whatever he can do. And he makes a wall around him, around the sheep and he leaves an opening in the, in the, in the, in, to get in where they are. He... he Leads them into the into the uh, pit uh, in the pen of protection. And you know what he does then? He lays his body across the door. You're not getting in here until you pass through me. He looked at Peter one time. He said, "Peter, Satan has desired and request permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. You imagine? I have prayed for you. You know what the implication was?" Permission granted. Permission granted. This is where we miss it. This is where the name it, claim it pundits miss it. This is where they pervert the gospel. Permission granted. You're going to be sifted. But by the time you come out of that, I'm going to break you and I'm going to make you fit to preach the gospel at Pentecost and the whole church, boom, is going to be birthed at the powerful preaching through the Holy Spirit in you. I can't use you like you are. You're too big. You're too full of yourself. You didn't go on to smelling yourself. And so we've got to downsize you. I've got to reduce you. We've got to, we've got to do some reductionism here so I can get you ready to use. And old dear ones, he does the same thing for us. But you know why he's doing that? We can feast on his faithfulness. The Bible says in Psalm 37, Delight yourself in the Lord who give you the desires of your heart. Feed on his faithfulness. Dwell in the land. Don't cut and run. As soon as you see the sight of the enemy, you see the threats coming, don't cut and run. Stay still and wait on the provision of the Lord. Don't be intimidated by the one who's been overcome so that you won't be overcome. Just a little trip through the Scriptures. Acts 23.11. Will you go there for a second? Just a little, little fly over here. 
the Apostle Paul's experience. You see, the Apostle Paul was led straight into trouble. Everywhere he went, trouble was there before he got there. And he got in trouble. He didn't go around looking for trouble. He didn't have the he didn't have a martyr syndrome where he tried to invite it or get himself in it just so he could brag about being in it. But wherever he went, he got himself in trouble for preaching the gospel of grace. And everywhere he went, look what happened. They plotted against him to have him killed. And it says the following night, the Lord the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must bear witness at Rome. Here's what Paul said. In the middle of all of this, the Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with me. And that made it more than enough. His presence, the Lord was with me. I was not abandoned. I was not left to myself to figure out how in the world I could be in the middle of His will, but yet it be turning out so bad and the circumstances being railed against me and all these people conspiring to my death, saying they've taken an oath and they won't eat or drink anything until I'm killed. My fellow countrymen that I'm trying to share the gospel with, and in the middle of all of that, and the confusion that would happen if I didn't know this, here's what I do know. There's a lot I don't know. But what I do know makes up for what I don't know. And that is, the Lord stood with me. The shepherd. He didn't cut and run because the shepherd was right there. The shepherd abides with his sheep. He doesn't leave when trouble comes. He leads us into trouble. And once having been led there, God doesn't just take His hand off and go, Oh, I wonder how you're going to make it now. Let's just see. God's not some divine cosmic chess player who's trying to just get His jollies on putting us in the middle of difficult circumstances. He's a, he's a sovereign God who orchestrates everything in the life of the believer in order to strip us of ourself, and son emerge and we be able to sucker and draw from His life and make His witness known. Look at 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15. Boy, the Apostle Paul knew a lot of this by experience. 2 Timothy 2.15. Apostle Paul spent a good bit of his time encouraging Timothy not to quit following him. Encouraging him to hang in there because, wow, you're following a guy that gets himself in trouble. Is under arrest all the time. Am I following the wrong leader? Understandable question. I'm sorry, Second Timothy four, nine and ten. I apologize. 4, 9, and 10. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Demas has forsaken me. He was abandoned. He was misunderstood. Look at verse 16. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But look at the next, look, look at the next statement. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear 
I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You and I are getting out of here a minute longer or a minute less of what God ordains. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And you know what? The projectiles can be going from around me, left and right, whizzing by. The arrows might come my way. There are bullets aimed at me. I'm in the middle of a raging battle. But while I'm in the middle of a raging battle, I am eating a feast prepared in heaven. I see this. When I read Psalm, we read Psalm 23 at funerals. We shouldn't read Psalm 23 for funerals. We should read Psalm 23 in light of the daily funeral that you got to go to. And it's your own. Jesus is saying, you know what? My Father led me here. That comes on the heels of Psalm 22. When it's a, it's a, a psalm of what He was experiencing on the cross. And He says in Psalm 23, I am walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Who but my shepherd led me here? Why am I here? Because my shepherd led me here. And by the way, I'm eating a feast in the middle of it. I'm feasting on His faithfulness. I'm latching on to His promises. I am drawing from what I've heard from Him. Whatever I don't understand about my circumstances is more than made up for but what I do understand about them. And that is that God is sovereign over them. God orchestrated it. And God has a plan. Jesus Christ gave his life, gave himself in death, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ gave himself in death so that he could turn around and give you and I his life. That's positional truth. Nothing will ever change that. I don't care what's arrayed against us. Neither death nor height nor any kind of power or principality will be able to separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. You name it, it's not going to happen. But in practice, if you're going to experience that, you're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. You're going to be in the middle of a raging battle. And the bullets and they're going to be whizzing by. And one day, one of them might get you. One of them one day might mortally wound you. But in the middle of it, right in the middle of it, you're feasting on the table of God. Oh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man, I'm drawing from a fresh well. I don't have stagnant water. I don't have just what I heard from somebody else. I've got something that God spoke to me. Dear ones, a sheep doesn't know how to eat on their own. A, sheep does not, a shepherd will tell you that a sheep does not know how to eat on their own. They have to be taught how to eat. There are shepherds who will get goats and bring them into their flock so that the sheep can watch the goats eat so the sheep can learn how to eat. We need to learn how to eat. I, I just tell you this from personal experience. I've got dates all over my Bible where God spoke to me something. I saw one of them this morning and I went, Oh! Hallelujah. And, and where God said something to me, and I keep a book in, 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 in my uh, office at home in the basement, and, it, and it's Scripture, and I put it inside sheet protectors because I want to keep it so it stays there. And it's things I know that God spoke to me. And I get that book out all the time and just review it all the time. You know what that is? You know what that is? 
That's eating a feast in the middle of the projectiles going everywhere. Oh, man! Let's feed on the faithfulness of the Lord. What the Lord said is superior to what I'm seeing. I'm going to operate by faith and not by sight. If you're not digging in there, you're not going to get it. But if you dig in there and you're persistent with it, God will speak from heaven and you'll know because the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. And you'll know that you know that you know that I've heard from God and nobody on the face of this earth can talk me out of it. If they can, it wasn't God who said it. More than likely. When I was at our previous two two churches ago, we left um, a church that we just adored and still do, and left that church kicking and screaming because we've been called into the ministry at another church. And the pastor there years ago was preaching a. Uh, message at another church several states away and he mentioned in the message and this 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 was being televised and uh, he mentioned in the message that he was doing a study on sheep and shepherds and the habits of sheep and shepherds just to prepare himself to teach on that very subject you know what is it when you read the Lord is my shepherd what does that mean what does shepherd what does sheep what does shepherds act like and what does sheep act like and give me some you know some insight and there was a guy in another state over who saw the broadcast, Greg, and he said, and this guy was a shepherd. His name was Will Womble. That was his name. And he's a shepherd. And so he started writing down the things he'd observed about sheep, and he took it and sent it to, at the time, my pastor, and, and, and gave him some insight about how sheep act. It's amazing. It's amazing. And 11 or 12 years ago, he gave a, he gave a, I think it was 11 years ago, he gave a, 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 a pastor's conference and shared some of the things that that uh, shepherd had shared with him and I, and I dusted that off and this week and, and started messing with that, messing in Gaumann in South Georgia it means I started looking at it and um, you know in Psalm 23 when the Bible says that you prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies I, I, this is how I vision that, I vision in the middle of a battlefield and you're sitting at a table with beautiful linens all over it, with a couple of candelabra, candle holders, okay, and, and on either side, and they're polished and shiny and just beautiful, spotless, there are no blemishes on them. And Jesus Christ, with nail-scarred hands, is serving up the most sumptuous meal that you ever had in your life. And it's not out in the field somewhere where there's nothing going on. I'm talking about it's a place where <coughs> everything is just exploding around you. The mortar fire is intense. It's all going around. Everybody's misunderstood you. They're mad at you. You name it. And it just seems like it's falling apart. And you just sit there in the middle of that with a calm assurance in eating a delicious meal. That's your inheritance as one of God's children. This shepherd wrote this about that. It wasn't in the context of Psalm 23, but it reminded me of Psalm 23. Here's what he said. He went to Germany uh, to observe shepherds when he first got his sheep. He said, I, I need to go get up with a shepherd who knows what they're doing and learn how to take care of these sheep. So he went to Germany and met a German shepherd. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, 
And um, so he's over there, and he's over there in the in the pastor there. And here's what he wrote about that. He says, "Won't you listen to this?" While observing the shepherd in Germany, NATO war games were going on nearby, with live ammunition being fired from tanks. The shells weighed 2,700 pounds and traveled about 20 miles. And you could hear these shells whistling through the air and rocking the ground upon impact. I was quite disturbed with every explosion. The sheep, however, looked up after the explosions, and upon seeing the shepherd, they simply went back to grazing. Wow. I'm telling you, it's according to who you got your eyes on. See? You know, here this guy is in a nervous wreck. 2,700 pound projectiles coming at you on every side. And whether you knew they were going to hit you or not, it was a scary situation. He looks over in the middle of his fright and sees the sheep there undaunted by any of it. And every time one would fall, they would simply look over at the shepherd, see him standing there and know everything was all right. They'd go back to feed. Oh, dear one. That's your inheritance as a believer. You can feed on this and it'll never hurt you. You can feed on this and it'll give you strength in the middle of any storm. And I'm gonna tell you something right now, before you take before you take a road, before you go down a path, just make sure Jesus is on it. And if he's directed you down that path, that does not mean it's not gonna storm. God led his disciples into a storm. He said, go in that storm. Who orchestrated the storm? The devil? Nature? That God just kind of put in place and took his hands off and lets it run its course? Or is he involved with it? Does his eye see a sparrow when it falls? Sure he does. He orchestrates. God's in charge of contrary wind. When it goes to blowing, wherever it goes to blowing, it's just according to where you're feeding and who you've got your eyes on. And if you're feeding on this and you've got your eyes on the shepherd, I'm talking about the chief shepherd, let them come by and whiz by all they want to. And you know what? Let me tell you this. This word carries no guarantee that one of them might not hit you one day. But if it does, until it does, you can have the peace that passes all understanding. What is this foolish notion? What is this foolish notion that says that Christian life is not dangerous. What is this foolish notion that says that Christian life insulates you from problems and turmoil and difficulty and puts you in fields where everything is just great and if it's not great you must lack faith or either you miss God. What is that? It's idolatry. It's idolatry because it's making God into somebody he's not. And it means a tyrant in heaven just waiting to make your life miserable. He's a shepherd. He's spending your life to make sure it's battle ready. And he'll lead you to green pastures. And while the middle of the field, where the middle of the, of the battle is raging, he'll prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And you'll be able to feast on his faithfulness. That's our God. That's what he's like. You tempted to cut and run right now? Things tough. Maybe you're in a tough situation. Maybe you're coming out of one, or maybe you're headed toward one. One of those three things is true. And I tell you this: the greatest temptation is to cut and run. The greatest temptation is to get your eyes off of the shepherd, 
The greatest temptation is to take matters into your own hands and change things in a way that God didn't ordain. The greatest temptation is to get mad, angry, resentful at others, and maybe even at God without even knowing it. It's subtle. I resent that, God. I didn't sign up for this. Patiently endure. Trust Him. Find out. Get to know who the heart of the shepherd is. And then when you get to know the heart of the shepherd, it won't be just a matter of inspecting you and using scrutiny to look at every little area of your life. It'll be coupled with the fact that he's a bishop. But before he's ever a bishop, he's your shepherd. Amen.